0: Okay, so we're in a series called Power and Love. For the last several weeks, we have been, or Love and Power, we've been looking um, at the implications of receiving the Holy Spirit. What happens when we receive the Spirit? The first time that this was recorded was in Acts chapter 2. You may remember Nate preached on that several weeks ago. Um, And we've been looking at kind of what happens when God moves into our heart, into our house. But before I jump into the sermon, I want to ask a question. So think about some examples um, of, like, when our leaders call for unity in our society. Give me a few kind of examples of that. What comes to mind? Yeah, Vaccinations, okay. After a tragedy. After a tragedy. Okay. Any other times in history or, like, in the normal course of things when you hear our leaders go, we need to unify? Need... Elections. After elections. Good, she's a plant. That's, no. so um, All right, so it, yeah, so often we hear these kind of calls for unity by, from our society leaders after like political elections or when they really need to convince us to do something, right, um, it's, it's kind of stereotypical, like politician beats their opponent, they stand up and they go, it was a tough fight, but now it's time to unify. Right. They usually um, say something like that, uh, and, and it comes right on the heels of them just trashing their opponent. Now all of a sudden, you know, it's time for everyone to unify. Sometimes we hear this, I think, in the context of marriage, uh, that we should unify, um, but that often can t- kind of digress into this, like, you need to take on my perspective, when really kind of that unity has more to do with adopting what I think versus a real unity. So often we hear these kind of calls for unity um, as essentially like a consolidation of power, right? It's like, a, let's, let's unify so that we are stronger as a group and our voice will be heard, right? So the reason why I bring this up is I just wanted to kind of unveil a little bit of what we kind of might, might bring to the table when I talk about Christian unity, which is what we're talking about this morning. Um, but So that's kind of a presupposition that I think we often do bring. But the Bible's call for Christian unity is radically different, I think, uh, than what we just discussed. So Christian unity, it's not about the consolidation of power. It's not about making a Christian voting block. It's not about like, uh, unifying so that Christians have more influence over society. Um, so what I'm submitting to you this morning and what we're going to be looking at is that reorienting our understanding around Christian unity could radically change how we interact with each other and how we love each other well. So first, uh, we're going to look at a passage in Ephesians, and then we're going to go deeper by kind of going through a journey of a number of different passages uh, to help us to develop a better understanding or theology around unity. Um, And then we'll look at that Ephesians passage again, hopefully with a little bit more uh, understanding. And then finally, we're going to try and get practical on this. we'll see see how well we do with that. All right, so turn with me to Ephesians 4, verses 1 through uh, 6, and if you have the Red Bibles, it's page 815. So what we're looking at here is a letter that's written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus. Uh, Modern-day Turkey, then it would have been Greece. And um, you can actually read about Paul's missionary journey to this uh, city in Acts chapter 19. It's interesting that you can actually read about the journey and then read a letter later on written to those same people. It's really uh, wonderful. But this letter would have been written several years later when he was in jail after being probably the most prolific missionary in history. Um, And he writes this really powerful exhortation to the church at Ephesus. And here's what he says. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. So as we start to unpack this, I uh, just thought it would be helpful to point out two things. Just from a grammar side of things, in English, I think we would normally say this kind of the other way around. We'd start with the why. There is one body, one spirit. And then we'd kind of go on to the appeal part, make every effort, and then we would say, end with the action. So you should be humble, and patient, etc. But I really want to point out Uh, the why of what Paul is saying. He's saying saying, keep the unity of the Spirit, and the reason why Paul is saying keep the unity of the Spirit, the reason why he thinks we should keep the unity is because there's one body and one Spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. So Paul's call for unity is really a lot different than what we see in our society. It's not for power. It's not for the power of the church. It's not for his power. It's not even for the betterment of society necessarily. Paul's rooting this call for unity in like the Bible's theology of unity, which is what we're going to look at this morning. He's rooting it in this like one Lord, one spirit, one body. So in the Old Testament, a major theme of the Old Testament And really, Paul's starting starting point when he's approaching this issue of theology or of unity in the body is a fierce understanding of the unity of God himself. So turn with me to Deuteronomy 6.4. It's page uh, 126. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. I'm sure you guys have heard this before. This is called the Shema. It actually, it encapsulates the monotheistic essence of Judaism, the belief that there is one God, that God is one. This prayer would have been recited by Paul twice a day. It actually still is recited by practicing Jewish people twice a day. It's the last words that traditionally that a Jewish person says before they die. This is not like an ancillary part of the Old Testament or of Judaic belief. This is like core. Paul echoes these words, that God is one, throughout his letters and does not abandon this essential understanding of the unity of God uh, when he accepts Jesus as Messiah or is filled with the Spirit. This is like Paul's baseline assumption or understanding of unity, right? And this the Shema is not just echoed by Paul; it's reiterated by Jesus. In both Matthew and and Mar- Mark's accounts of the gospel, uh, this uh, Jesus repeats this, and he was actually asked by a teacher uh, of the law. Um, they were trying to trick him. He said, "What what would you say is the most important commandment?" And this, is, and he and he repeats the Shema. He says. Of all the commandments, this is the most important. Probably something we want to pay attention to, right, when Jesus says that. The most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Sometimes that's translated with all your might. So, like, think about this for a minute. It's kind of deep stuff. We have Jesus, who is a distinct person in the Trinity, reaffirming the oneness of God and reiterating this declaration that God is one. It's something that we need to pay attention to. Now this is not like a full treatment on the Trinity. I think that might take a little more time than this. But, um, but it is to say that Jesus, who is fully God, he's fully man, he reaffirms, he, he believes, he declares the critical nature that God is unified in himself. Unity between the Father, unity between the Son, unity between the Holy Spirit. It's, it's like baked in to the nature of God, unity. So this is kind of like our first point on this theology of unity, is that God is unified within himself. We tracking so far? Yeah? God is unified within himself. Okay, so that from this declaration that God is unified, uh, Jesus promises that the Holy Spirit will come, he lives, was killed, was buried, resurrects, right? And then the core conviction that we receive as it relates to Jesus's ministry, as it relates to um, unity from Jesus's life, is that God invites us into unity with him through Jesus. Are you tracking? God's unified, and then he invites us into unity with him through Christ. So now we're going to look, we're going to skip ahead to the next passage, um, which is Acts 15.6, which is on 770. Okay, so the, the Holy Spirit fills the believers in Acts 2. We have preached about that several weeks ago. And the church is growing. People are getting healed. It's amazing. A lot of fun stuff, amazing stuff's happening. But there were some Jewish um, folks that were teaching that you had to be circumcised or you had to go through all the normal Jewish rites in order to be saved by Christ. So Paul and Barnabas, they, were, they, they didn't know what to do about this. They were like at odds. They were arguing. They had a disagreement about how to address this teaching. So they went down to Jerusalem to visit with the other apostles and to meet with Peter to find out what, what should we do. And Peter says this really awesome thing about uh, Gentiles. He says that God, who knows the heart, showed that he had accepted them By giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts. So, what Peter is saying is that the presence of God within these Gentiles, the non Jewish believers of Jesus, broke down the barrier not just between them and God, but also between each other, between Jews and Gentiles. Because if God, this unified God, that's, again, where Paul's starting. If the unified God is living inside of you, then the very life of that unified God is in you. We have the same Father. We have the same Spirit. We have the same power, the same love. And God has now made this new multi-ethnic family. The presence of God, it unifies everything. That's what the presence of God does. So this is like that moment that the apostles realized that their body was bigger than they had previously realized. I'm not talking about like post-COVID body bigger than it used to be. But like I'm talking about like this, the body of Christ, the people that, that have the spirit of God living in them is bigger than what they had previously known. So the third point here is that God gives us his spirit, which brings unity between us. This is, like, really good news. So when I was serving as a missionary in, in Ethiopia, I had an opportunity to experience this type of unity on kind of a really uh, profound level, at least it was for me. We were working really closely with this couple uh, when we lived there uh, named Habrut and Daniel Cho. Um, I can barely pronounce their name, let alone I uh, couldn't speak their language. Um, these folks are incredible. Um, but... To be honest with you, we had nothing in common if you look at it from a natural level. I didn't speak their language. Herut didn't even know a word of English. I think she, maybe she was fronting sometimes because she never spoke English, not even a word. Um, they grew up in an extremely poor situation, lived in mud homes, um, had to sell tea on the side of the road to, for their own sustenance, not even. Um, not even had really experienced or watched TV or anything. Like There was almost no level that we could just relate on on a natural level. But when we prayed together, when we strategized together, when we talked, man, it was like we had everything in common. It was like w- when she made a decision, I was 100% with her. When I made a decision, she was with me. And it was, it was incredible to be able to have that kind of a fellowship with somebody that you really on a natural level don't. I d- you don't relate to on any level. So it was just incredibly helpful for me to, to, to really cat- to like remember that we, like, we have the same spirit that lives in each of us. I had more in common with them than I do with a lot of my neighbors that live right next door to me. It's just the way it worked. So again, kind of here's the progression of our like little theology of unity. God is unified with himself. God unifies us us with him through Jesus, and God gives us his spirit, which brings unity between each of us. So now let's look at that Ephesians passage again. Hopefully it'll make more sense. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and in all and through all, or through all and in all. Okay, so when I got to this point in the sermon, I was like struggling. I was, because I really wanted to get some like practical stuff that we could apply, right? Like, let's apply this right now. But Honestly, for a couple of days, I was just like, man, I'm not feeling good about this. And what it really kind of came down to is that what we're not talking about is a bunch of actions we can take. We're talking about like an attitude of the heart. We're talking about a motive. Do you love the body of Christ so much that you desire unity within the body over being right? I mean, that's like a rough question, I apologize for it, but I really think that we have to, like, appeal to each other's heart when it comes to unity in the body. What I hope we're starting to see, though, is that the body of Christ, like, we're called to a better unity than the unity that changes, like, day to day based off of circumstances, agendas, and platforms. We're called to a better unity than that. In, like, this hyper-divisive time where everybody's... um, like really divide it like we need a deeper better unity in this in this place than the fleeting unity of our society that changes we need a unity that's rooted in the unity of god we need a unity that's rooted in our unity with with god and we need a unity that's rooted in our unity with each other so i'm not saying though in the, in saying this that we shouldn't address real issues not at all I mean, Paul is addressing real issues in his letters all over the place. What I'm saying is that we need a commitment to unity in the Spirit with each other so that we can then address those real issues. Does that make sense? I want this to be practical, but I really think we have to start with that attitude and the commitment part of it to loving the body of Christ, desiring unity. I do think that there's some actions like we can take, but it has more to do with actions that we can take to, to like challenge our own hearts. Does that make sense? So Nathan preached last week and he kind of gave a couple action points like, what are you reading? You guys remember that? What are you reading? What are you consuming? What are your inputs? What are the things that you're listening to? Um, and, I, and I think all of that's applicable in this case. I would add a few questions. How much material a day are you consuming that has been specifically designed to divide people into two camps? I mean, it's been designed that way. And do we really think that we can stay objective with that much consumption? So in May, another gentleman here in the church and I entered into a month and a half long fast of all of that material. No news, no social media, uh, no radio, none of it. Just to see what happens in our hearts. Like, what's gonna happen here? And I'm telling you, it was was so interesting. Much more peace, a lot more hope. A lot more hope for all of you and me. (laughs) More patience with each other. I mean, it, it was critical, it was really important to just kind of stop something to see what happens. <laughs> so here's some, a few questions that I'm going to challenge you guys with and see if maybe you might need to do something similar to that. When you're, when you're really able to be alone with your thoughts, what are you thinking about? Are you thinking about how wrong somebody else might be? Or are you longing for hope? Are you longing for unity? Does your mind kind of go toward that like us and them thinking? Um, so maybe maybe you might, might want to take a little fast from some div- divisive material and maybe feast a little bit on God's word. All right, so second thing I think we can do is ruthlessly eliminate us and them perspectives. Um, I'm not saying culture gaps don't exist. I'm not saying race doesn't matter. I'm not saying that like, that there's some very real different political perspectives that are different from each other. All that's true, but you're not a liberal Christian or a conservative Christian. You are a Christian. You're a follower of Jesus, and we have to allow that primary identity to supersede all the rest of the, the different categories that we may put on ourselves. You're first a follower. You may then be male or female, Jewish or Christian, Ethiopian or American like me and Herod, all of those things that do affect us. I get that. But we're first followers of Christ. So keeping this perspective just allows us to keep the unity of the Spirit uh, through that bond of peace. And if you think about it, a lot of the heinous acts of world history, Christian history, American history, uh, is, is when we really lose that perspective. We lose the perspective that uh, we need to keep the unity of the spirit, okay, The next one is seek mu- uh, mutual submission to Christ in disagreement, not dominion or being right. All right, so your last argument with your spouse if you're married can you do you remember it like like in person argument <laughs> I remember mine. Um, think about it for a minute. Um, if you're not married, then think about maybe with a friend or with a, with a, with a parent. Um, now, the only caveat is that it can't, it can't have been online and not an online argument. That's not a real one. I'm talking about like face-to-face, real argument. OK, what characterized that argument for you? Did you want to be right? Is that like kind of why we entered into it? Or was it because there was disunity and you were seeking unity, which is different? It's an attitude, it's a perspective, it's a motive thing. Again, we're talking about unity, um, not uniformity, which is different. We're not talking about having the exact same perspective, but we're talking about getting to that place where our hearts are are close again. Because here's the deal, conflict and differing opinions, they're gonna happen, it's okay. A unified church does not necessarily mean one without disagreement every single one of paul's letters were written because of a disagreement and he but he did not like address those disagreements to like flex his muscles on being right he is addressing those disagreements to bring unity to the body under the lordship of jesus so this is kind of interesting even the word heresy which is like kind of an ugly word, right? You hear that, you're like, ugh. Um, but it actually even means like it's a group that, that, that causes disunity in the Christian church. So unity is what we're seeking. So here's kind of another couple of quick suggestions uh, if in, in disagreement, seeking unity in disagreement. If you're prone to like a lot of words in disagreement, right, you just start, boom, you're in. Um, listen first. Uh, wait to build your case. Don't build your case right away. Remember that the other person that you're in an argument with um, also has the spirit. So seek God together. Remember that you have a mediator in your midst. If you're prone to like disengagement in argument, you kind of back off. You go, not, not doing it. You shut down maybe. Remember that uh, s- keeping unity is about seeking unity. It's not about avoiding conflict, OK? There is a divine mediator in your midst, and you need to maybe say something. All right, one other big topic, and, and I'm going to be a little bit blunt here, but I just you can't not talk about it and talk about unity. But as time has gone on, we have found that we are, we're, we're finding out more and more that uh, disagreements through social media are not real. Um, in other words, they, it's not about keeping unity. Um, people do not keep the unity because you had a real zinger and you decided to post it. Um, these posts, they, they just have shown to be just so much more di- di- uh, divisive and push people further into their divisions than it does bring any kind of unity. Um, people just don't change their minds because of a post, they don't, they just get further and further into their, into their camp. So, here's what I'm encouraging. I'm encouraging that you just meet with people physically. Because um, it takes, like, mutual submission. Like, I'm going to adapt a little bit as you adapt a little bit. We're going to, like, try to meet with each other. We're going to try to, like, work this out in relationship. Um, and, it, I, and honestly, it, it takes the spirit's intervention when we're together, not you in a dark room on a computer. Um, We have to give the Spirit a real opportunity to keep us unified through physical presence. We cannot hide behind our computers. All right? So, in closing, I would just say this, that, like, God is giving us power to be able to unify. We're not doing this on our our own. Um, we're um, We're not trying to live out of our own strength, where we have received his spirit, and his spirit is unified, and it is desiring unity amongst us. So we just need to to keep the unity of the spirit, not create the unity of the spirit. We need to allow ourselves to submit to this idea and not submit to counterfeit unity, this idea that you have to believe absolutely everything I believe. I don't always believe the same things that I say myself. I, my perspective changes, so it's okay. You can have different perspectives. Okay, so normally we would, like, close a sermon in prayer. But I'm not going to do that. I am going to instead read the words that Jesus prays over you. So, again, these are Jesus' words. They're not mine. But, but if you could, just close your eyes and bow your heads and realize that this is specifically what Jesus has prayed over you. My prayer is not for my disciples alone. I pray for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you in me, and I am in you. May they also be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as I have loved, as they have loved me. Lord, I, th- I thank you for this time, for this space to, to, to pursue you. And God, I pray that you would make us one as you are one. In Jesus' name, amen.